After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awuz and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih V, Ayyadahullahu Ta'ala bin Asrihil Aziz stated that we are currently passing through the month of Ramadan and approximately two ashras, or a period of ten days each, have passed. And by the grace of Allah the Almighty, every believer tries to partake the blessings of this month as much as possible. When Allah the Almighty made fasting obligatory, He outlined the objective of fasting at the very outset in that fasting has been prescribed for you so that you may become righteous. Hence, we are only able to partake of the blessings of fasting and the month of Ramadan when we elevate the standards of our taqwa, i.e. righteousness, along with fasting and when we try to seek refuge of Allah the Almighty from all kinds of vices. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has stated that fasting is a shield. However, is it sufficient for us to observe fast just superficially? And is it sufficient to merely eat the suhoor, i.e. the pre-dawn meal, and iftar, i.e. the meal to break the fast? And will these deeds of eating suhoor and iftar be sufficient to place us behind the shield of fasting? Certainly not. In fact, we must consider all of its prerequisites and the principal objective which Allah the Almighty has mentioned. And as I stated earlier, that is, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ that so that you may become righteous. Hence, if we want to transform our fasting and our Ramadan into one which are observed purely for the sake of Allah the Almighty and for the sake of acquiring the pleasure of Allah the Almighty, the reward of which is Allah the Almighty Himself, then we must raise it to the standard which God Almighty desires from us and for which fasting has been made obligatory. And as I mentioned earlier, that Allah the Almighty has clearly stated that the objective is to become righteous, i.e. develop taqwa. We call ourselves believers and Muslims and we claim that we have acted in accordance with the guidance of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And whilst perfecting our belief in him, we have accepted the Messiah and Mahdi who has appeared in accordance with his prophecy in the person of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadiyan alayhi salatu wassalam. And in accordance with the promise of Allah the Almighty, the task of the rejuvenation of Islam would now take place through this Messiah 
المهدي And so it is our responsibility to seek guidance from the Promised Messiah in order to maintain the spirit of Islam within us. Thus, when we take a look at what the Promised Messiah has stated in relation to righteousness, i.e. taqwa, then we truly come to know what righteousness is. And as I mentioned earlier, that we claim to be Muslims, and we also claim to be among those who have believed. Hence, the Promised Messiah stated that in that case, listen, the first stage of faith is that a person ought to develop righteousness, i.e. taqwa. Following this, the Promised Messiah explained what righteousness is and stated that the answer to this is to refrain oneself from every form of evil. If we ponder over this, we realize that this is not an ordinary matter. In fact, by reflecting upon our own conditions, we will come to know as to whether we are fulfilling the due right of righteousness and thus the due rights of Allah and whether we are treading on the path of righteousness and fulfilling the rights of the creation of Allah the Almighty. The Promised Messiah stated, that you can only truly understand what righteousness is when you gain complete knowledge of these matters. And so it is important to acquire knowledge as nothing can be accomplished and attained without knowledge. The Promised Messiah further stated, to gain an understanding of what are the rights of Allah the Almighty and what are the rights of His creation, and to gain an understanding of that which Allah the Almighty has prohibited and from that which He has commanded us to do, you should repeatedly read the Holy Qur'an. The Promised Messiah states, when you read the Holy Qur'an, you should write down the details of all vices. Subsequently, you should try to abstain from these vices with the grace and help of Allah the Almighty. The Promised Messiah states that this is the first stage of righteousness, i.e. taqwa. Hence, during this month of Ramadan, we are reading the Holy Qur'an, and usually greater attention is given to its recitation. And so we should read it with this thought in mind, that is to concentrate on its commandments and prohibitions, and we must strive to refrain from evil deeds and act upon good deeds. The Promised Messiah stated that the Holy Qur'an is replete from beginning to end with the details of its injunctions, prohibitions and divine commandments. Therefore, we must focus on these matters and act upon them, for this indeed is the sign of a true believer. The Promised Messiah very strongly emphasized that as long as one does not become righteous, their worship and prayers are not imbued with acceptance. For Allah the Almighty has stated, That is, that Allah the Almighty accepts the worship only from the righteous. In relation to this, the Promised Messiah has stated, that in truth it is only the prayers and fasting of the righteous that are accepted. The Promised Messiah then explained what the acceptance of worship is and what is meant by it. In explaining what acceptance is, the Promised Messiah states that when we say that a prayer has been accepted, what it means is that the effects and blessings of the prayer have been brought about in the one who offered the prayer. The Promised Messiah further states that until these effects and blessings are not brought about, these are simply movements. 
Thus, we must see as to whether this month of Ramadan and our fasting is elevating us to this standard. The Promised Messiah further states that if one embroiled in ills and troubles continues to suffer in such a state, then tell me what benefit have they derived from their prayer? It should have been the case that the ills and troubles they were suffering from decreased with the prayer and the prayer should have been a perfect means for him to achieve this. The Promised Messiah then states that the first step which is difficult for one who wishes to become a believer is that they refrain from evil deeds and this is what is called righteousness, i.e. taqwa. Hence, if our worship and our fasts and our reciting of the Holy Qur'an does not bring about a practical change in us, and if we have not strived to adopt taqwa, i.e. righteousness, which is the purpose of fasting, then we will not have fulfilled the objective of fasting. And though we may have spoken of this shield, regarding which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has stated that fasting is a shield, but we will not have made efforts in learning the method to use this shield. And though we may have observed the sahri and iftari, but have we fulfilled the actual purpose of observing them? And we may have spent the entire day without eating or drinking, but have we fulfilled its actual objective? And that objective is to attain righteousness, i.e. taqwa. Therefore, we must analyze if we have done this or not. I shall present various other extracts from the writings of the Promised Messiah regarding taqwa, i.e. righteousness, from which we can attain guidance as to what righteousness truly is and what kind of righteousness the Promised Messiah desired to bring about in us. In relation to this, the Promised Messiah states that true righteousness which cleanses and purifies a person for which the prophets were sent to the world, has disappeared from the earth. And there are very few for whom the following can be applied to, قَدْ أَفْلَهَا مَنْ زَكَّاهَا That is, verily he truly prospers who purifies himself. The Promised Messiah states that there are very few who fulfil the words قَدْ أَفْلَهَا مَنْ زَكَّاهَا being holy and pure are excellent qualities, and if one is pure and holy, then angels greet him. However, people hold no regard for this. Otherwise, they would be able to attain all their pleasures through means that are lawful. A thief steals money to acquire wealth. However, if a thief observes patience, then God Almighty will make him wealthy through other means. This does not only refer to the very overt forms of theft, but some business people who profit from wrongful tactics also fall under this category. Similarly, a fornicator commits fornication. However, if he observes patience, then God Almighty will fulfill his desire through means that will also attain the pleasure of God. It is recorded in a hadith that a thief commits theft only in a state of disbelief, and a fornicator commits fornication only in a state of disbelief. In other words, a person only begins to indulge in such deeds at the time when faith leaves their heart. The Promised Messiah further states, A goat cannot allow itself to graze when a lion is stood over it, and the faith of the people today cannot even compare to the faith of that goat. When a person commits sin and vice, they should realize that God Almighty is always watching them. The Promised Messiah further states, that the true objective and essence is taqwa, i.e. righteousness, and whoever is granted it can attain anything. Without it, one cannot safeguard against all minor and major sins. 
the laws of man-made governments cannot save you from sin. The ruling authorities do not remain with you so that they may establish their fear in you. And a person only sins when he knows himself to be alone. Otherwise, he would never sin. And when he does consider himself to be alone, then at that moment he is an atheist. He becomes devoid of faith and God is removed from his heart and at that moment he becomes an atheist. He does not entertain the thought that his God is with him and he is watching him. If he truly believed that God was watching him, he would never sin. Thus, everything is dependent upon taqwa, i.e. righteousness. The Qur'an speaks of this right from the beginning with the words Thee alone do we worship and Thee alone do we implore for help. This in actual fact denotes righteousness in that although a person is capable of an action, but out of fear one would never attribute the ability to perform that action to themselves and instead would consider it as a result of the help sought from Allah. In this way one continues to further seek divine help. He seeks help from Allah the Almighty and if he performs a good deed, then he does not consider it to be a result of his own greatness, or that his heart is pure or he has reached a lofty standard of goodness. But he recognizes it to be the grace of Allah the Almighty through which he was enabled to perform the good deed or worship and pray. The second chapter then mentions right in the beginning that it is a guidance for the righteous. Prayer, fasting and zakat and so on, all worship is granted acceptance when one becomes righteous. At that moment, God removes all such factors which could lead to sin. If one is righteous, then Allah the Almighty removes all such things that draw one towards sin. If one is in need of a wife, then Allah grants him a wife. And if one is in need of medicine, then He bestows him with medicine. Whatever it may be that one requires, He provides him with it and grants him sustenance through means he is unaware of. The promised Messiah further states, there is another verse in the Holy Quran. This verse also refers to those who are righteous. In other words, they weathered earthquakes, hardships, vicious gusts, but they never faltered from the pledges they had made to God. They upheld their relationship with God with loyalty. And once they had established their belief, they continued to strengthen their faith and it was not so that their faith became unsteady and wavered due to small things. Then Allah the Almighty further states that when they adhered to this and demonstrated sincerity and loyalty, then their reward was that that is, that the angels descend upon them and tell them that do not fear or worry, for your God is your guardian. And the angels give them glad tidings to rejoice for paradise. And what is meant by paradise is the paradise of this world, as it is mentioned in the Holy Quran. Furthermore, it is stated, that is, that we are your friends and guardians in this life and in the hereafter. Thus, how fortunate are those for whom Allah the Almighty becomes their friend and guardian, and those whose every action is solely for deriving the pleasure of God. Then, whilst elaborating on the difference between the success of a believer and the success of a disbeliever, and how a believer perceives his success compared to a disbeliever, the Promised Messiah states, Always keep this principle in mind that the task of a believer is to feel humbled for any success that they are blessed with. Why are they humbled? This is an expression from them to demonstrate that I am not capable of such an achievement and that everything has been bestowed to me through the grace of Allah the Almighty. And whatever I have received is by virtue of the grace of Allah the Almighty and not because of any of my personal qualities or my knowledge or intelligence or wealth or my physical abilities. On the contrary, it is due solely to the grace of Allah the Almighty. 
When one comes upon such a realization, then one praises Allah the Almighty that He has bestowed His grace upon them. In this manner, one continues to tread forward and remains steadfast in each and every trial and acquires faith. The Promised Messiah further states, Remember that the success of a disbeliever is a way that leads to misguidance, whereas the success of a believer opens for them the doors of divine blessings. Because a disbeliever takes pride in everything and takes the credit upon themselves, they fall further and further into misguidance as a result. However, when a true believer attributes everything to the grace of Allah the Almighty, then the door to divine blessings continues to open wider for them. The Promised Messiah further states that the success of a disbeliever leads to misguidance because in turn they do not incline towards God. Rather, they take their own effort, intelligence and capability to be God. A believer, however, turns to God and gains a new understanding of Him. In this way, after every success, a new relationship between them and God is forged and a transformation begins to take place. God Almighty states, That verily, Allah is with those who are righteous. Thus, it ought to be borne in mind that the word taqwa or righteousness has appeared in the Holy Qur'an many a time. It has appeared more than a hundred times. And this word is understood in light of the word ma'a, which appears before it and means with. That is to say that those who give precedence to God in return are given precedence by God and He saves such people from every kind of disgrace in this world. The Promised Messiah further states, it is my belief that if an individual desires to be safeguarded from every kind of disgrace and hardship in this world, there is only one way, and that is to become righteous. After this, such a one lacks nothing. Hence, the success of a believer moves them further ahead, and they never remain stagnant. The Promised Messiah further states, The impact of a person's righteousness begins to take effect in this very world. This is not a mere loan, but actual capital. In fact, just as poison and its elixir takes immediate effect on the body, so too does righteousness. Thus, if despite performing good works, offering worship and performing virtues, one's condition is not impacted, then this is a cause for worry. People write many questions to me, asking how this can be ascertained. This can only be ascertained if one is being more inclined towards good deeds and towards Allah the Almighty, and if one is performing those good deeds for the sake of Allah the Almighty, and if Allah the Almighty is blessing those good deeds in return. Then whilst outlining the paths of taqwa, i.e. righteousness, the promised Messiah states that the entire spiritual beauty of a person lies in him treading on all the subtle paths of righteousness. The subtle paths of righteousness are the minute details and pleasant features of spiritual beauty. In other words, these subtle aspects of taqwa lead to one's spiritual beauty. And it is evident that this is achieved through upholding the trust of God Almighty and to act in accordance with one's spiritual pledges to the best of one's abilities. It is achieved through utilizing every faculty and limb from head to toe, which are outwardly visible in the form of eyes, ears, hands, feet and other limbs, as well as those that are internal such as the heart and other faculties and moral qualities on the appropriate occasion and to the best of one's ability. Furthermore, this is achieved through restraining one's faculties from unlawful use and to remain mindful of their subtle attacks. On the other hand, he should also be mindful of the rights of mankind. In other words, these are all the pledges we have made with Allah pertaining to our faith. For example, to use the faculty of our sight on its proper occasion and to refrain from the trespass of the eye and its immoral use. We also have to safeguard our ears from listening to wrongful things and we have to carry out virtuous deeds through our hands and feet and we have to remove the evil or immoral thoughts from within our hearts and for this one should recite istighfar as much as possible. Then there are various other faculties which one ought to utilize and elevate their moral standards to the highest level. These are the spiritual pledges which one makes with Allah the Almighty and the Promised Messiah has stated that one has to fulfill these pledges. Likewise, one has to be mindful of the rights they owe to God's creation. One has to be mindful of the rights they owe to fellow humans. The initial pledges were in relation to one's own self. However, one should also fulfill the due rights of others as well. When one fulfills all of these rights, the Promised Messiah states 
that the entire spiritual beauty of a person is attached to this aspect. In other words, when one fulfills the rights owed to Allah and the rights owed to fellow humans, then one develops spiritual beauty. Furthermore, God Almighty has defined righteousness, i.e. taqwa, as a garment in the Holy Qur'an. Hence, libasu taqwa, i.e. garment of righteousness, is an expression from the Holy Qur'an, and this indicates towards the fact that spiritual beauty and elegance can only be attained through righteousness. Furthermore, righteousness is that a person upholds and fulfills every trust of God and spiritual covenant made with him, as well as the trusts and covenants made with his creation to the best of one's abilities. In other words, he should uphold and fulfill even the minutest aspects to the best of his abilities. Whatever commandments there are of Allah the Almighty, whether they be regarding worship or reforming oneself or fulfilling the rights of others, one ought to delve into its minutest aspects and seek to fulfill them. The Promised Messiah states that until one does not strive to act upon the finest aspects of fulfilling the rights of Allah and the rights of his creation, they cannot attain the ranks of righteousness. This is a very important point which we must keep in mind. Our worship will be of no benefit if it is not accompanied with the fulfilment of the rights owed to our fellow people, and nor will only fulfilling some rights of people whilst forgetting about God Almighty, just like some people who say that they fulfil the rights owed to people, will it enable them to be deemed as those who tread the path of righteousness. It is necessary for a true believer to remain mindful of both rights. Then, whilst mentioning the spread of innovations and detachment from taqwa, a righteousness, the Promised Messiah states that thousands of innovations in the faith have taken root in countless forms among every sect and community. Righteousness and purity, which are the fundamental objectives and purposes of Islam, and for which the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, bore perilous calamities and things which could not have been shouldered by anyone except for one who possessed the heart of a prophet have now been lost and are non-existent. If you visit the jails, you will be able to see which group of people constitutes the majority of criminals. In other words, the Promised Messiah states that the majority of convicted criminals were Muslims. I have narrated previously as well that there was a minister in Ghana who mentioned that it was said in a meeting that majority of the people in their jails were Muslims. He was an Ahmadi and gave the challenge at the time that among those Muslims not a single Ahmadi would be found and even if there were any Ahmadis they would only be so in name. And so when this was investigated it proved to be true. Hence, this is the hallmark of a true believer and a true Ahmadi, which then proves to be an excellent source of tabligh, i.e. propagation. If we remain mindful of this and exhibit the highest moral in all facets and actions in our lives, whether in our businesses, our jobs, our daily dealings with people, and also raise the standards of our worship and strive to inculcate righteousness in our hearts, and inculcate the fear of Allah in our hearts, then not only will these things be a means for our own reformation, but they will also prove to be a means of silent tabligh, i.e. silent propagation. The Promised Messiah further states that fornication, drinking, injustice and other crimes are so rampant that the world believes as though there is no such thing as God. If a detailed exposition was provided on the ills and evils existent within the various classes of society, then this would make for a voluminous book. And on reflecting over the state of the various people within our nation, any intelligent and contemplative individual will reach the true and categorical conclusion that righteousness, which was the ultimate cause of the Holy Qur'an and which was the true basis for honour and the means of nobility, is nowhere to be found today. The Holy Qur'an's primary objective was to establish taqwa, i.e. righteousness, but this objective became lost amongst the Muslims. The Promised Messiah continues that a good practical state which was sorely needed in this age, an example of which would serve as a distinction between Muslims and others, has deteriorated and decayed. 
Thus, how can tabligh be carried out if this is the condition? What influence can Muslims have on the world? These, in fact, are the very consequences which we are witnessing in the world today, for which Ahmadis have the solution. And if our condition also deteriorates, then who will take up this task? By the grace of Allah the Almighty, the promises made to the promised Messiah will certainly be fulfilled, and if we do not take part, then Allah the Almighty will raise other groups of people through whom He will fulfill these promises. And so, when the state of our society comes to the point described by the Promised Messiah then how much should we fear for the standards of our own piety and taqwa, i.e. righteousness, and that of our future generations? The Promised Messiah explains that righteousness does not mean that one should not benefit from the bounties granted by Allah the Almighty. In fact, not benefiting from them constitutes being distant from righteousness. Certain so-called elders, peers and fakirs, wear simple attire and eat distasteful food merely as a form of ostentation in an attempt to show that they are righteous and pious. The Promised Messiah states that bear in mind that one ought to remain a seeker by way of supplication to God always and in every state. Secondly, one ought to act upon the following Amma bin ni'mati rabbika fahaddis that proclaim the bounty of thy Lord. In other words, one ought to proclaim the favours which are conferred upon a person from God Almighty, for this increases a person's love for God and fosters a zeal in them to be obedient and dutiful to Him. The word proclaim does not only mean that a person should verbally speak of these blessings, rather these blessings should be apparent on their body as well. For example, if Allah the Exalted has granted someone the ability to wear elegant clothes, but they always wear spoiled and dirty clothes so that people will look at them with sympathy or so that an individual's affluence remains hidden from the people then such an individual commits a sin. For such a one seeks to hide the grace and bounty of Allah the Almighty and follows a way of hypocrisy and such a one deceives the people and seeks to mislead them and this is far from the greatness of a believer. A believer does not act in this manner. The way of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was always to embrace both aspects. Meaning, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would utilize whatever was available and did not incline more towards one as opposed to the other. If he had elegant clothes, he would wear them, and if not, then he would wear ordinary clothes. The Promised Messiah states that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would wear whatever was available to him and would not reject anything. He would accept whatever clothing was presented to him. However, after the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, certain people saw humility in adopting the way of asceticism. Certain dervishes have been known to mix dust with their meat before consuming it. Once, a man went to see a dervish, and the dervish stated that present him with some food. In other words, he told his followers to offer food to their guest. However, the guest insisted that he would eat with the dervish. And so finally, when the man sat with the dervish to eat, bowls of neem were prepared for him and presented. Neem is the name of a tree that has very bitter leaves and the fruit it bears is also extremely bitter. Hence, this bitter food was prepared and presented to him and this food was not at all delicious. In fact, it was dangerously bitter. The Promised Messiah states that certain people adopt such a practice and the purpose is to make others believe that they are people of excellence. However, Islam does not consider such practices to be a sign of excellence. Excellence in Islam is gauged by righteousness, which transforms a person into a saint, and with whom the angels converse and to whom God Almighty gives glad tidings. I do not teach such ascetic practices because they are at odds with the objective of Islamic teachings. The Holy Quran gives the following teachings that eat good things. Yet these people turn an excellent, pure thing and mix it with dust to turn it into something that is impure. Such beliefs developed a long time after the establishment of Islam. Such people add their own innovations to the teachings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, for they have nothing to do with Islam or the Holy Qur'an. 
These people invent their own sharia. I view this with utter contempt and disgust. The Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is a perfect example for us all. The Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, is a perfect example for us all, and our betterment and merit lies in following his footsteps in so far as possible and not deviating even in the least. This is the case with eating and drinking, and as far as one's morals in daily life are concerned, the Promised Messiah والسلام, states that with regards to one's conduct in the home, that people have committed mistakes in their relationship and conduct with their wives and children and have deviated from the right path. It is written in the Holy Quran, Ashiruhunna bil ma'ruf, that consort with them in kindness. But people's actions are currently contrary to this teaching. Rather than being kind, their cruelty is being perpetrated in certain homes. Hence, if one has been granted the ability to wear nice clothes and the opportunity to eat good food, then these things do not hinder a person's taqwa. In fact, they help to increase it. The Promised Messiah has also outlined that in terms of one's moral conduct in the home, it is necessary for one to treat their wife in a kind manner and care for their children and tend to their needs and see to their proper upbringing. Because this too falls under righteousness and is commanded by the Holy Quran. Thus, both fulfilling the rights of Allah and fulfilling the rights of His creation are vital. Then, in another instance, the Promised Messiah والسلام, has stated that a righteous person is bestowed a light from Allah the Almighty. Regarding this, the Promised Messiah والسلام, states that true righteousness and ignorance cannot subsist together. True righteousness is accompanied by a light as Allah the Glorious has stated, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, in tattakullaha yaj'allakum furqanum wa yukaffir ankum sayyiyatikum wa yaj'allakum nooran tamshoona bihi. That is, O ye who believe, if you remain steadfast in righteousness and hold fast to it for the sake of Allah with firmness and perseverance, He will single you out from among your detractors with marked distinction. That is, you shall be blessed with a light which will accompany you wherever you go. That is to say that that light would illumine all their actions and words and faculties and senses. Their intellect will be illumined and there would be light in all that they utter. A person who follows the will of God can never commit any inappropriate action and if they do then Allah the Almighty would immediately guide them to reform themselves and Allah would guide them towards istighfar by seeking forgiveness. The Promised Messiah further states that their intellect would be illumined and there would be light in all that they utter. There would be light in their eyes and in their ears and in their tongues and in their speech and in all their movements. The ways along which they walk would be lit up and all their ways, the ways of their faculties and their senses will be filled with light and they will walk all together in light. These paths would lead towards piety and their faculties will be used for pious deeds and their thinking and ideas will also be virtuous and the thought of sin would be removed from them. And when such a society is established, then it is a society wherein every person adheres to righteousness. The Promised Messiah states that such is the eternal law, that all this is granted only after man has attained perfect awareness, which is the source of all fear, love and appreciation. He who is granted perfect awareness is also granted perfect love and fear, and he who is granted these is granted salvation, for he is saved from all sins that result from audacity. In order to attain this kind of salvation, we do not need the blood of Christ or crucifixion or redemption. All we require is a sacrifice, the sacrifice of our own selves which our very nature demands. This sacrifice 
is otherwise known as Islam. In other words, to sacrifice one's own desires enables one to adopt the path of righteousness, i.e. taqwa, and this is called Islam, which literally means to offer oneself to be sacrificed, or to willingly and completely submit oneself at the threshold of God Almighty. The beautiful name Islam is the soul of the Sharia and essence of all its commandments. It requires perfect love to readily offer oneself for sacrifice, and perfect love requires perfect cognizance of God. Until one develops an understanding of something, one cannot develop love for it. And this is what the word Islam signifies, in that true sacrifice requires perfect cognizance and perfect love of God and does not require anything else. And God Almighty indicates towards this in the Holy Quran that neither the flesh nor the blood of your sacrifices reaches me. The only sacrifice that reaches me is that you fear me and adopt righteousness for my sake. Thus, this is the level of righteousness that God Almighty and Allah's Messenger, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, wishes us to attain. And this is also the level of righteousness expected of us by the Imam of the age. And this has been repeatedly mentioned in the Holy Quran. And fasting has been prescribed in the month of Ramadan in order to attain this. Thus, those of us who try to spend the remaining days of Ramadan striving to attain this level of taqwa, i.e. righteousness, will be the fortunate ones from among us. Or for the days that have passed, may Allah ensure that they have been spent in this way, and that may we ensure that our every action and word is in line with the will of God. A person once came to the Promised Messiah and stated that people raised the allegation that he had claimed to be the Promised Messiah, but he was not a Sayyid, i.e. from among the progeny of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. So how can a Sayyid pledge allegiance to an ordinary follower of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him? Some Sayyids and others who elevate Sayyids to a higher rank even today make this claim, that Sayyids have an extraordinary status, and so how can a Sayyid pledge allegiance to a non-Sayyid. Similarly, today certain Arabs also have this concept that if the promised Messiah was to appear, then he ought to appear from amongst the Arabs. And why was he a non-Arab and how could they accept him? They read the Holy Quran but do not ponder over its meaning. For the answer is present there from before. Allah the Almighty states that it is he who will bestow this rank and it is not people who award these ranks. In any case, the Promised Messiah further states that Allah the Almighty is neither pleased with one's physical body nor of any one nation, but rather Allah only values righteousness. This means verily the most honourable among you in the sight of Allah is he who is the most righteous among you. To say one is a Sayyid or Mughal, Patan or a Sheikh is utterly false and holds no significance. If one is conceited because of the caste or nation they belong to, then such conceit is futile, for after death there is no concept of belonging to any nation. In the sight of Allah the Almighty, a particular nationality bears no significance and a person cannot be guaranteed salvation because they belong to a noble family. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, told Hazrat Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha that, O Fatima, do not pride yourself over the fact that you are the daughter of the Messenger. For in the sight of God, belonging to a particular nation is of no significance. Thus, if this is the command for Hazrat Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha, then in comparison, what status does anyone else hold? One will be given a rank based on their level of righteousness. Division into different nations and tribes is a part of the tradition and organization associated with this world, and for God they hold no value. One can develop the love of Allah by adopting righteousness, and in turn righteousness is the key to attaining the most excellent ranks. If a Sayyid becomes a Christian and hurls abuse at the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and completely disregards the commands of God, can anyone say that such a person would be granted salvation and enter heaven, simply because they are a descendant of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him? In fact, the Qur'an states that verily the true religion in the sight of God 
which is the means of attaining salvation, is Islam. If a person becomes a Christian, a Jew or an Arya, such a person is not worthy of being bestowed honour. God Almighty has abolished all caste systems and division of nations. Division in the form of tribes is an organisation and tradition of this world. However, after pondering deeply over this matter, we have come to realise that in the court of God Almighty, the true basis for attaining a lofty rank is righteousness. God Almighty has already decreed that a righteous person will enter paradise, and according to God Almighty, the most honourable person is the one who is most righteous. Furthermore, Allah the Almighty states that the prayers and deeds of the righteous find acceptance. Allah has not stated that the deeds and prayers of the Sayyid are accepted. In addition to this, Allah the Almighty states regarding the righteous, that the righteous will be granted a way out of every difficulty and that a person will be granted provisions from places where they could not even imagine. Now tell me, has this promise been made with Sayyids or the righteous? Allah has further stated that a righteous person is a friend of Allah and once again this promise was not regarding Sayyids. So what greater rank is there than Vilayat, i.e. sainthood, and this too will be endowed only to a righteous one. Some people have stated that Vilayat is a greater rank than prophethood and have said that a prophet's Vilayat is greater than his stated of prophethood. In reality, a prophet's being consists of two components, prophethood and Vilayat. Through his prophethood he presents the injunctions and teachings of the Sharia to God's creation and through his Vilayat he ensures that God's creation forges a bond with their creator. Then Allah the Almighty states that this is a perfect book there is no doubt in it, and it is a guidance for the righteous. It is not mentioned that it is a guidance for all Sayyids. In short, Allah the Almighty desires righteousness. Indeed, the Sayyid ought to particularly adopt this righteousness because they are the descendants of a righteous person. The Promised Messiah has stated that it is their responsibility to strive in order to attain righteousness, as opposed to them thinking that being a Sayyid will give them a special rank. They should be the first ones to come forward and accept the promised Messiah rather than quarrelling with God Almighty that it is their right as a Sayyid. God bestows upon whom he pleases. This is the same case like the Jews who say why was prophethood bestowed to the children of Ismail. They do not know that Allah the Almighty states Whoever comes up against God Almighty will be abandoned. The meaning of this verse mentioned is that on such days we cause to alternate among people. Therefore, this is the decree of God Almighty. The Promised Messiah has stated that whoever contests against God will be discarded. God can question every single person, but none can question Him. Refuting this allegation with respect to His claim, the Promised Messiah states When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, began his ministry and made his claim, at the time Jewish scholars were considered virtuous and moral. However, it is not necessary that they would be considered righteous in the sight of God Almighty. God Almighty speaks of those righteous individuals who are truly virtuous and pure. When these people heard the claim of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, upon seeing their own honour and respect diminish among the people owing to it, they rejected him owing to their arrogance and chose not to accept the truth. Now ponder over the fact that they were deemed righteous in the eyes of the people, but they were not righteous in the true sense. A truly righteous person is one who never conceals the truth, even if one has to lose their honour, endure all kinds of humiliation, face the threat of losing their life, and reach a point where one becomes completely destitute. However, owing to the fear of Allah the Almighty, they are willing to bear all these losses. The meaning of righteousness is certainly not how today's Molvis define it, which is that one is righteous as long as one professes their belief verbally, even if they do not practically adhere to it and speak falsehood and steal. In other words, to simply claim to be a Muslim is not enough to be righteous. In fact, righteousness entails many stages and until one does not completely attain these stages, they cannot be deemed as being completely righteous. One can only truly benefit from something when it is taken in its right quantity. A person who is hungry and thirsty will not be satiated if they were to only take a small piece of flatbread and a drop of water. If the Molvis express their knowledge, it does not mean that they are righteous. In fact, righteousness develops through one's actions 
simply being called a Malvi or being a highly scholarly person does not develop righteousness within that person. The Promised Messiah states that a person who is hungry and thirsty will not be satiated nor will it save their life if they were to only take a small piece of flatbread and a drop of water. In fact, they would have to intake the adequate quantity of food and drink. So too is the case with righteousness. One has to completely adopt every aspect of righteousness in order to be truly considered as being righteous. If this is not the case, then even disbeliever could be referred to as being righteous because they would certainly possess at least some aspect of a quality of righteousness within them and they must be performing some kind of virtue. But that does not lead one to become righteous. Allah the Almighty has not created anyone who is completely full of ills. They have some aspect of virtue in them as well. But this amount of righteousness within a disbeliever is of no benefit. There has to be adequate amount of virtue which will enable one's heart to become illuminated. As it was mentioned earlier, that for this one has to fulfill the rights of Allah and the rights of His creation. One should possess every kind of virtue within them. The Promised Messiah states, If God Almighty is pleased with the person, they would be safeguarded from every kind of evil. There are many Muslims who claim that they observe the fast, offer prayers, etc. But this does not make them righteous. Righteousness is something completely different. In order to become righteous, one has to give precedence to God Almighty and owing to the fear of God Almighty is willing to sever his ties, whether they be one's family, tribe, friends or leaders of their city and be ready to endure every kind of humiliation for the sake of Allah the Almighty. The grand promises which have been made to the righteous people in the Holy Quran are for such righteous people who have done their absolute in fulfilling the prerequisites of righteousness. They remain steadfast upon righteousness as much as they could physically do according to their human faculties, to the point that they could physically do no more. Subsequently, they beseeched God Almighty to be bestowed with further strength, as is evident from Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'in. Thee alone do we worship, and Thee alone do we implore for help. Iyaka Na'budu signifies that we have tried to the best of our abilities and not left any stone unturned. And Iyakanastain means that to proceed further ahead, we seek further strength from God, just as the poet Hafiz has stated. That is, we cannot attain that lofty stage unless you bestow your blessings. Thus, one ought to bear in mind that to be considered righteous in the sight of God Almighty and to be considered righteous in the eyes of people are two completely distinct things. The opponents that gathered in hordes in the time of Jesus were those who were considered as believers and righteous people in the eyes of the Jews. If they did not oppose, then such crowds of opposition would never have formed. This was exactly the case in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Pride, miserliness, ostentatiousness, consideration for one's honour, etc. were all those aspects which stopped the people of that time from accepting the truth. Thus righteousness is not easy to attain, and when one is granted righteousness by Allah the Almighty, then he also instills the characteristics of righteousness within that person as well. The truth is that how can one become righteous if after the truth has been revealed, they then unnecessarily reject the sound arguments and the signs of Allah the Almighty. The fact is that when the truth manifests and one refutes the sound arguments and the signs of Allah the Almighty, then they can never be considered righteous. A righteous person ought to be completely humble and filled with humility. With regards to his advent, the Promised Messiah states that has it ever happened in the world wherein a person continuously for 24 years plans in the night and the next morning claims that this was revealed to him by God Almighty and God Almighty did not punish him? If that was the case, then the world would become engulfed in darkness and people would be destroyed. For a righteous person, even a single sign is enough to derive benefit from. But in my case, there are thousands of signs. The condition of the world is calling for a reformer and the hadith states that the imam will be from among you and the words from among you is also mentioned in Surah An-Nur and also the condition of people's hearts and them living like animals is also signifying the need for a reformer. It was claimed that the mujaddid would appear at the beginning of each century. This was at the time when the promised Messiah was mentioning this. The eclipse of the sun and the moon has taken place. The plague has emerged and the hajj was also stopped. If people still do not accept after witnessing all of this, then how can we believe that they are righteous? This is a response to those who issue edicts of disbelief against the Promised Messiah and consider themselves to be righteous and virtuous. 
Such people lead others to go astray. The Promised Messiah states, We have repeatedly invited them to come and ask those questions which they have a right to ask. Indeed, it cannot be that the Holy Quran states one thing and you say something completely different. They claim that Jesus will descend bodily from the heavens. However, that can only be considered true if he ascended in the first place. The Quran speaks of the death of Jesus and yet they claim that he transcended into the heavens. Is it righteous to abandon the truth and simply follow what they claim? The true concept of righteousness has been mentioned in the Holy Quran and the works of those who possess righteousness. Then, whilst advising the community in relation to righteousness, the Promised Messiah states, One who is righteous witnesses a manifestation of God. Such a one rests in the shade of God. However, one ought to ensure that their righteousness is pure and free from any part of Satan, for associating partners with God displeases him. If one's righteousness is tainted even in part by Satan, in the estimation of God Almighty, Satan has corrupted it entirely. The Promised Messiah continues, I advise my community that they should not pride themselves merely on the fact that they offer the prayer, they fast and abstain from obvious sins such as fornication, theft and so on. In these qualities, even non-believers such as idolaters and the like are similar to you. The subject of righteousness is a delicate one. Strive to attain righteousness and instil in your heart the greatness of God. A person whose deed is tainted with even the slightest ostentation will have that deed thrown back in their face by God. One's actions should not be done to show others. It is a difficult task to be righteous. For example, if someone alleges that you have stolen a pen, why would you show anger? If someone claims that you have stolen a pen, then why would you become so angry? This is not the characteristic of one who possesses righteousness. Rather, one ought to show patience and steadfastness. Your virtue of showing patience is merely for the sake of God. In other words, one ought to refrain from becoming angry. Such a one shows rage because they do not completely stand by the truth. Until one truly experiences many deaths, they do not become a righteous person. Miracles and revelations are also branches of righteousness. The actual root is righteousness. Therefore, do not be obsessed with revelations and dreams. Rather, strive persistently to attain righteousness. Do not focus on whether one has received a revelation or a dream. Rather, look at their standard of righteousness. Only the revelations of a person who is righteous are true. If one is devoid of righteousness, their revelations are also not credible either, and they can be corrupted by Satan. Do not judge a person's righteousness by their revelations. Rather, gauge and assess their revelations by the state of their righteousness. Shut your eyes to everything else and first traverse the stage of righteousness. The objective of each and every one of the prophets who appeared was to lead people to the path of righteousness. The Holy Quran states that his friends are only those who are righteous. It is the Holy Quran that has taught the finer ways of righteousness. A perfect prophet demands a perfect community. Since the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the seal of the prophets, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. For this reason, the excellences of prophethood culminated in him. When the excellences of prophethood reached their final point of perfection, it was then that a seal was set on the institution of prophethood, an individual who desires to please God Almighty and to witness miracles and extraordinary happenings ought to make their life extraordinary as well. You observe that people who are set to give examinations undertake such strenuous efforts that they become ill and frail like victims of tuberculosis. Therefore, to pass the examination of righteousness, prepare yourself to bear any and all hardship. When a person advances on this path, Satan wages powerful and fierce onslaughts, but at one point Satan finally stops. This is when a death overtakes a person's base life and they begin to rest under the shade of God. A brief summary of my teaching is that one should devote all of one's strengths to God. I have presented various extracts of the Promised Messiah wherein he has advised us from various perspectives so that we understand the meaning of righteousness and its deeper essence. And just as the Promised Messiah has stated that after entering his community, we ought to understand the true spirit of taqwa, i.e. righteousness, and adhere to it. In the remaining days of Ramadan, we should strive as much as we possibly can to understand the true essence of righteousness and fulfill the rights of Allah the Almighty and His creation.
May Allah the Almighty grant us the ability to do this. Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'afiruhu wa n'amenu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhi wa na'awzu billahi min shurure anfusina wa min sayyati amalina من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد الله إله إلا الله ونشهد أن محمدا إن الله يأمر بالعدل واللسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم وَدُوهُ يَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ وَلَذِكْرُ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرُ